Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs 30, verse 15. The leech has two daughters, give and give. Three things are never satisfied, four never say enough. This proverb is startling at first glance because it is not easily understood. Why a leech? Who are these two daughters named give and give? And what about the four things that are never satisfied and never say enough? Although what might be called a proverbial riddle, like Proverbs 30.15, may never fully be answered, they give us pause as we ponder their meaning. The leech's daughters give and give remind us that the leech is something which is never satisfied and never has enough. The three things which are never satisfied becoming four reminds us that the list of things which are insatiable is not exhaustive. In fact, one explanation states that insatiable things reminds us of insatiable people. We are reminded that we live in a culture that is full of people who can never get enough. Yet as important as it is for us to recognize and identify the cultural sins around us, It is also important for us to confess our sins to Almighty God as we approach Him. Simply stated, this proverb reminds that God calls us to be content in all areas of life and where we struggle with discontentment, much like the leech who can never have enough, we are sinning against God. With that, we are reminded that we need to humble ourselves before God and confess our sins to Him. Please kneel where you are if you are willing and able. This morning, uh, we are going to look at uh, some most from Job 42, chapter 42 of Job. And the title of this morning's sermon is Standing in the Gap. And I'm going to begin by just reading a couple of verses. Let us hear God's word. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves and my servant Job shall pray for you for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you that that already we have been washed in your word. We ask that as we 
take this time to look at this passage from Job, that your Holy Spirit would be working in us, that your word would tear us apart, that we may be put back together whole and stronger and better. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, standing in the gap, I often, for reasons that I'm not truly sure of, uh, think of a nursery rhyme. I don't know if it's really a nursery rhyme. It's a nursery rhyme type of story that I heard, like most, when I was a young boy. And this is probably why it comes to mind often. It's the legend of the little Dutch boy who was on his way to school one day and happened to see a small leak in the dike letting the sea in. He knew that if he didn't get to school on time, he would be in trouble. But he also knew that if the small leak was not dealt with, it would continue to get bigger until eventually the whole dike failed, spelling certain disaster for the town and the surrounding countryside. So he decided to go up and simply put his finger in the leak, holding back the sea until someone from town passed by, saw the boy and the situation, and ran back for help so that they could come and repair the dike. The story has been used countless times to teach children about self-sacrifice and to encourage them that even they have the power to avert disaster if they act soon enough. The funny thing, if, if you read a bit about the history of the story, is that everyone sees it as this Dutch legend, and it never was. It actually may have been written by someone in France, and it was actually popularized by an American author, and the only reason people in the Netherlands are familiar with it today is because tourists have imported it when they go there. The other thing I learned uh, just recently is that you cannot plug a dike with your finger. Uh, when the dike gives way, usually they actually put boats in the big holes. So I find that fascinating. But I, I would say that it's still a great example of what it means to stand in the gap, much like what we see at the end of Job. Before we explain that, let's take just a, a few minutes to understand exactly what is happening in this last chapter of Job. The first six verses of Job, chapter 42, paint a very different picture of the man that we have seen and encountered throughout the rest of the book. For example, we see that he has a new and expanded vision and understanding of God. Previously, although never sinning, he certainly was questioning God. And at times, calling God's judgment into question. This flows from several instances where he states that he would be better off dead. Yet we continue to be reminded that Job never sins against God. By this point in the story, though, Job is confessing that God can do all things, and he finally and fully understands that everything that happens in life and on earth happens within God's divine wisdom. In fact, Job goes on to confess that although he spent all of that time and all of that energy questioning God and his judgment, these are matters that are too awesome for Job to understand. There's another interesting aspect to all this as well. Early in the chapter, as part of his confession, Job states 
I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I think that these two verses are central to our understanding of the vital calling that God places on Job, beginning in verse 7, and the calling that he has through that role. So let's take a moment to look at these two verses in more detail. First, in verse 5, this confirms that Job has always known God. Or we might say that he has always been a believer. Job references that he had always heard about God. And he rejoiced in what his ear heard. But what does this mean? This knowledge of God through hearing. It seems, or may seem, somewhat odd to us. But it is more than likely, Job is referencing his hearing about God through the songs that were sung in the teaching of the elders. Job, for a time, sat in the same position as everyone else during the time that he lived. What he knew about God, what he learned about God, he acquired through songs and stories. It's important to remember here that Job is generally considered the oldest book of the Bible. Job himself, regardless of when the actual book was written, was probably a patriarch who lived sometime after the flood, but long before Moses. This means, in some respects like Abraham, his faith in the God of his fathers would have been a faith that was based on oral tradition, if for no other reason that scriptures had not been written yet. Job's testimony is basically that he has always believed and trusted in everything that he has heard about God. That he has always believed and trusted in everything that he had been told about God. He rejoiced in what he heard. But now, now Job's faith is confirmed. Because as he puts it, now my eyes have seen. Job has now had a direct encounter with the living God. And it has left an indelible mark on him. In fact, in this encounter, God has given Job exactly what he had so deeply longed for. We read in Job 19, verses 25 through 27, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another." Way back, way back in chapter 19, after Job had experienced so much terrible devastation and loss, his faith stands strong. His faith is built upon a Redeemer, one that he knows he will one day encounter and see with his own eyes. Yet here at the end of the story, his proclamation is that he has already seen God. Even as he proclaims, now my eyes have seen. Job is a changed man. But there is a second aspect to verse 5 and 6 that we need to work through to fully grasp the immensity of the calling that is placed on Job's life following these events. And this, this, is going to take, this takes a little bit of work. We're going to have to really 
dive in. Verse 6 of chapter 42 is often translated something like this, and you would have heard me read it this way in the ESV. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I want us to hear that again very closely. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This presents a challenge to us especially in understanding and applying the story of Job. Because as far as we can tell from the words of this book, and as far as Job is even aware, every argument that he has made, every defense that he has made, he has nothing to repent of. I want us to think about that. Most of us are probably really familiar with Job, and we know the story And we know that in lots of ways he was falsely accused. And yet, in our translation, we get to the end. And he says that he despises himself and he repents in dust and in ashes. At least one of the points of Job is that there was no specific and grievous sin that he was carrying around which he needed to repent of. That was the point that his friends, if you could call them that... Missed completely. I recently heard uh, one professor say that one of the things they didn't understand is that spiritual warfare was happening. And they missed that point. They came assuming that Job was carrying something. Some tremendous sin. They came honestly with superstition probably like the rest of the culture around them. So what do we do with this verse? Two things. First, the word myself is added into the translation. Okay, so literally the Hebrew says, therefore I despise. He may despise himself, but based on the context, it is just as plausible that what he is saying is that he despises his life. Many Bibles will mark the words that have been added in the English, and if you have one of those Bibles, you could probably see this with the verse. Second, the word that here has been translated repent, and listen closely here, is used six other times in Job, and in all six cases is translated comfort. When we take all of this together, we have really a a different translation of this verse as at least a possibility. And I would submit that it is a more accurate option, which says, therefore I despise my life, I am comforted. I want us to think. Think how that follows from the story. Therefore I despise my life, I am comforted. When we put all of this together from verse 5 and 6, basically what we have is Job's testimony of the journey of his relationship with God and the payoff of that relationship. It goes something like this. I trusted in you when all I had to go on was what I heard about you. I wanted more than anything else to see you, but I knew that it was enough to believe that I would see you someday. I continued to trust in you even though I didn't understand what you were doing or why you were doing it. I thought it would have been better if I wasn't alive. But then you came to me. 
You made your presence known to me. You talked to me. You gave me all I had ever wanted. Everything was a mess. It still is a mess. And I hate this mess of a life, but I am comforted by you and by knowing you because you made yourself known to me. I can't stress enough at this point in the story how important this is. Job goes through a radical change, and we see and understand this change when we see how God's orientation to Job changes after this confession of faith. I would also say that this is the core of everything we have been talking about up to this point this morning. It is the example of Job standing in the gap, or the little Dutch boy plugging the leak in the dike. Notice that God says to the three friends, he is hot with them. It is his wrath. They have spoken foolishness about God. Untruth. They were supposed to come with words of comfort to Job, and yet they came with words of accusation. They became little Satans. Remember the beginning of this story. Job was already in good standing with God because of his faith, and Satan came accusing. These so-called friends took on the mantle of Satan and did the same thing accusing Job of some sin that needed to be confessed. Job is vindicated before God as light is shined on their sin. And Job is the one who God gives the honorable calling of standing in the gap for these foolish sinners. God tells them to bring seven bulls and seven rams to Job for a sacrifice. We immediately note two things here. First, This is an extremely expensive sacrifice that God is requiring. Second, that suddenly Job is standing in the position of priest. Just as the prophet represents God to the people, the priest represents the people to God. And Job finds himself in this position. Their sacrifices are offered. Job prays to God on their behalf. And they are accepted by God. This is the radical change that Job has undergone. Not just throughout the whole story, but specifically between these few verses. At the beginning of this book, Job was a great son, even a favored son. By now, he is a son of God. By now, he is a prophet with access to the courts of God. A priest interceding on behalf of sinners. Sinners who have sinned specifically against him. Yet he holds no grudge. Job prays, God hears, and God acts. Finally this morning, I believe that there are three points of application for us today to take away, not only from the story of Job, but more specifically from these verses at the end of this book. First, God shows up when Job shuts up. God shows up when Job shuts up. One author writes, So God cannot show up in answer to Job's question as if he were a library book which is the way Job's three friends treat God. Job pushes buttons, but the God machine does not work. Not because it is broken, but because it's not a machine. Job finally realizes this when God shows up in his true character as questioner, not as answerer. The best words Job uttered were his last. The words of Job are ended. The point here is that if we want to hear God, then we need to be willing to listen to God. And as we all know, we can't listen and talk at the same time. Working through this made me think about my interactions and relationships with my own children. 
I'm sure it's not unique to them and it's not unique to our family, but I have at least a couple of them who are notorious for asking me something and then continuing to talk while I'm trying to answer the question that they asked. Of course, they don't hear what my answer was, which leads to more questions and greater confusion. Sometimes we need to be willing to quiet down and listen. We've already established that Job has no grievous sin that he's carrying around. Yet he does a lot of talking. And we can note that he may have come very close to talking himself into sin. Another author writes, Should Job persist in holding on to his avowal of innocence, he would sin by yielding to pride. But on becoming aware of the danger inherent in continuing to charge God with injustice, he humbles himself before God, conceding that he has misstated his case by speaking about things beyond his ability to know. We all at times could stand to humble ourselves before God by quieting down. Second, Job teaches us how to stand in the gap. If I were to ask you all this morning, how do you, how do we as Christians stand in the gap, I might hear possibly about helping people in need, about food banks, about food drives, about Habitat for Humanity, about volunteering at crisis pregnancy centers. We might think that we can stand in the gap by sending money, supplies, or ourselves to the latest areas ravished by natural disasters, flood, hurricane, earthquake, fire. These would all be good and honorable suggestions, and they are worthy of our time. But what I want us to see, and what I want us to understand today, is that we all share in Job's priestly calling. The priestly calling he had toward his friends. But you, you are chosen you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. 1 Peter 2, 9. Job wasn't the first and he wasn't the last called into that priesthood. We are all a part of that. Just as God heard Job's prayers and acted benevolently toward his three friends, so God hears our prayers as well. I do not believe that I can state this too strongly. Maybe more than anything else, for God's people today, standing in the gap means praying. God does hear our prayers, and he does act according to what we pray for. Our corporate prayers in worship, in the Lord's service on Sunday morning. Our private prayers, in our own prayer closets, in quiet time. Let us be those who pray. Pray for family and friends, for cities, states, countries, for believers and unbelievers, for leaders and those desiring leadership. Let us be those who pray in faith, knowing that God hears these prayers and acts accordingly. Our third point of application this morning is that Job helps us to see and know that instead of an accuser, we have an advocate. Job, like so many others in the Bible, points us to Jesus Christ. We may have lives like what Job had, but Job reminds us that we also have a great high priest who is ever interceding for us. Job shows us that he was called to a ministry of reconciliation, 
reconciliation with his three friends. And through Jesus Christ, we too are called to a ministry of reconciliation. Just as Job prayed on behalf of those three, we are called to pray for our enemies as well. And just as Job was called to bless those who persecuted him, we too are called to bless those who persecute. But we aren't called to do this on our own. We aren't called to do this by ourselves. Rather, we do these things in the power of Jesus Christ. We have Jesus, a greater Job. We have Jesus, who suffered and died and rose again. Remember, Job was restored. Everything was given back to him. Yet the story ends right where we would expect it to. And Job died, an old man full of days. That is literally the last verse of the book. Our great and high priest story, the story of Jesus Christ, does not end that way. In fact, it does not end at all. Jesus suffered, died, and rose again to turn his enemies into friends out of love for the world. So as we go from this place today into a world and a week filled with suffering and devastation, brokenness, death, sin, accusers, the accuser, may we always be ready to stand in the gap. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Our God, our Heavenly Father, we we praise you. We thank you for these words today, these words of encouragement. We thank you for the life of Job. We thank you that you have seen fit in history to make sure that these things are recorded for us, that we may know and understand, that we may be encouraged and may more fully know you. We ask that you would give us the strength and the energy and the courage this week to be those who stand in the gap in whatever situation we may find ourselves in, in whatever the circumstances, we rely upon you to be your priests to the world around us. Now let us pray. And we are called to make this glory known through our words and our deeds in the world. We do not attempt to make this, make this glory known through our own strength, however, but by the strength of another, by the Holy Spirit. It's in Him that makes our works fruitful. It's in Him that He transforms. And it's in Him that He makes us ambassadors for the Most High God. And at this table... Jesus proves another reminder, provides another reminder that God is working in this world with his glory as we partake in the bread and the wine in this new world. When we eat, Jesus is presented by his spirit, and by his spirit he nourishes and sustains all our earthly endeavors. So it's with that I invite you to the table to eat and drink and rejoice, for the spirit of God is among us. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. 
If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.